Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebot. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. You can find out everything there is to know about the BBC on our website, www.veteransbreakfastclub.org. On there, you can check out all of the upcoming Monday night Zoom programs that we do that invites veterans and non-veterans to come and listen to historians, uh, authors, uh, military experts. Uh, it's really a great uh, program. It's going to have a lot of wonderful guests coming up throughout the year. You can also check out our blog and sign up to be a member. Also, you could send us your address if you don't receive our free quarterly VBC magazine filled with wonderful veteran stories. We hope that you'll join us on the website. Uh, as for today's episode of The Scuttlebutt, I invite Vietnam veteran Al Smith on to talk about the military and veterans group Braver Angels. Their mission is to bring together veterans whose military service has instilled them with the importance of unity, teamwork, and a country first mentality in order to promote working together. Obviously, we live in a very divided country right now, um, and Al believes uh, that the Braver Angels mission and the sort of core values that he learned in the military about working together uh, can help bridge that divide. Uh, we talk a bit about Al's service uh, and go into the Braver Angels mission and everything they have going on. You can check out their website if you scroll down to the description below, uh, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Joining me today for the scuttlebutt is Vietnam veteran Al Smith. Al, you're here to not only talk a bit about your service, uh, but also Braver Angels, which I'm very excited to get into the organization and its mission. Um, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Welcome to the scuttlebutt. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I guess I will go. I don't know how far you want me to go back. I was born and raised in the inner city of New York, uh, ended up at the University of Connecticut. When I got out of the University of Connecticut in 1965, it was a time when uh, everything was ramped up for Vietnam. They were drafting and they were drafting when I was there. I guess it turned out to be a lottery later on, but uh, I was drafted. And then uh, I went in as a private uh, and I went to Fort Dix, went to Fort Jackson for advanced infantry training. And so I guess somebody told me, you know, you got a college degree, you should really be an officer. And I said, fine, I'm, I'd like to go to, how do I become an officer? They said, well, you, you missed West Point and you missed ROTC, but you can go to officer candidate school. I said, okay, sign me up. It's six months. Of course, they did, what they didn't tell me is they were losing so many second lieutenants in Vietnam, they just needed them fast and furious. So I went to OCS, became a second lieutenant uh, in the infantry, went to Fort um, Campbell, home of the 101st, uh, and I was there as a, as a uh, recruiting, a training officer for those in basic training. But it wasn't long, it was probably about six months, and I got my orders for Vietnam. Uh, they sent me to Fort Lewis to be part of a uh, troop ship of 2,500, uh, 90 officers, 2,500 uh, non-commissioned officers. But they sent me to uh, Fort Lewis. They got the order screwed up with the officers and sent the officers there uh, 60 days before the rest of the troops. Oh, so we no. so had not 90 infantry officers and they didn't know what to do with us. <laughs> so they they attached me to a uh, engineering uh, unit that went up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which and and that unit built the uh, every year they built the Boy Scout Jamboree. They built all the tents, 
But since I didn't know how to put a nail into a, a board or a hammer, they gave me a Jeep and said, get lost. <laughs> so I, I was there enjoying the scenery in Idaho. And uh, then my time came and I went over on a troop ship to Vietnam. What year was that finally? It seems like that was about almost that two years was, later. Uh, let's see. I guess that was in 67. Yeah, I was going to say a couple of years. Yeah, because I came home in, in November 68. So it was 67. When I got to Vietnam, I was assigned to the 1st Infantry Division, mm -hmm. and I went up to uh, Phuc Vinh, uh, and I was there for, I guess, about six months. And then we did operations over the course of the next year in what they call as three corps, which is from Saigon all the way up to the um, Cambodian border. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to yeah, yeah. dive, dive back uh, just a, just a touch and, and sort of ask it, you know, you come out of, out of New York, so you get up to the University of Connecticut. Yes. Um, you know, the war is, is sort of near its beginning phases at that time. So you had to be kind of aware of what was going on or, or did you kind of focus on studies and, and Vietnam was sort of this place that you'd never really thought of? Good question, because I guess I went to uh, UConn in 61. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, JFK in 64 sent in what he called military advisors to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But the first entire unit, military unit, uh, that was sent to Vietnam was 65, and that was the first air calf. Mm -hmm. So I, when I started college, the Vietnam War was not heated up yet, so to speak. Uh, it, it only really came about in 65. Mm -hmm. When you got drafted, were uh, what were your feelings at that time? Well, I, I knew I was going to go. I mean, I'm I'm out of college. I can't, I know, no college deferments. I was single. I was healthy. I had a pulse. Uh, and um, I, you know, I'm going to, if my country wants me to serve, I'm going to serve my country. I'm not going to go to Canada or whatever. And so I, I went, I, it was too, I couldn't really debate the war, whether it was right or wrong. I, in, a, in a way, I, you know, I, you didn't know. You just, you went. You, your country's asking you to leave and go to Vietnam. And this was, this was earlier than when the war started to get bad and, and the home front started to, to really uh, have a lot of division about the war. Um, was there support in 65 six to 67? Was it a little bit more on the home front? Like, uh, uh, you know, there was... There was more uh, civilian support. I guess it was it was kind of neutral, uh, as uh, you know. I I I didn't see any protests like when I was at Fort Campbell or I was at uh, Fort Benning. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a lot of protests. It was in I guess it was in '65 when they sent the first air cav over, and then the first major battle of the war was the Idrang Valley with the first air cav. And they had, I don't know, maybe two, 150 killed or what Americans killed. And and then it started on, uh, from what I understand on television, you know, every night you would see these battles and you would see a, a, a body count, obviously, of the VC or North Vietnamese, but you'd also have Americans coming home in body bags. Uh, uh, so, you know, that then the protests, I guess, started. And and what what really set it off was uh, 
of course, I was in Vietnam when Tet happened, which was, I think, the end of January 1968. Yeah. And of course, that basically, you have Walter Cronkite questioning the war. He never did before. But it was like, who's winning this war? You know, they're attacking us. Something's wrong with this with this picture. And then when Walter Cronkite turned kind of against the war, then the protests really, really went crazy. What was your experience like there when you finally landed? You're in three corps. Uh, was it still pretty kinetic where you were at? Well, uh, when I it, it, that that whole experience being there for a year, it was, um, and I guess any Vietnam vet would would tell you this. It, it was it wasn't an all out battle every day. I mean, you might get rocketed or mortared at least. Uh, when we go out on search and destroy missions, you know, you would go out and you'd make no contact and you come back in. And the next day you, you, you go out from the base camp and you go on another search and destroy mission and no contact. And after maybe two or three weeks out, you'd come back to base camp for about a week. And then you go out to another landing zone in another area looking for the the Viet Cong or yeah. hopefully not, but the North Vietnamese, because they would, you know, they were big units and, and better trained. But when all hell broke loose, hell broke loose. But you could get lulled into, you know, you're not, you're, it wasn't World War II. You weren't on the front lines uh, at Bastogne every, every day. Right. Can you t tell me about that first? I, I'm always interested in the the first time you had to go outside the wire, the first, I mean, you, you had gone through basic, you'd gone through OCS. So you had men that you were in charge of, but that first time you had to to go outside the wire, go on a search and destroy mission. Do you remember that first time? I do. Uh, I do. Uh, and, and the one thing I, I would say in Vietnam, most of those going to Vietnam were not trained properly or had enough training. Because we were, I mean, we're going into jungle warfare. We're going into rice paddies. We're going into the highlands, whatever. And 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 we were not trained, uh, you know, in in that kind of. I guess special forces troops had a lot more training when when they went over for special operations. But when I got there, I relied so much, and this is anybody new in country, so much on on the troops that were there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was so many things that they did that I had never been. Told about, but like had a talk on a on a on on a prick twenty five the phone without even talking, just by breaking squelch to the person on the other end without ever making any noise. I mean, you know, you were never, you know, told that in or trained on on that. So so much of what you learned was OJT initially, and you relied on. I relied on my platoon sergeant, mm -hmm. and I relied on the troops that were had been there for three months, seven months, or whatever. You said breaking squelch? I thought maybe the first squelch. time I've heard that. Yeah. No, yeah. On on the radio, um when you click it on, it gives a little buzz, and that's when you talk. Yeah. And then when the other person clicks on, I believe if I remember this right, they talk. But if I had like at the in the middle of the night, I had we have listening posts around our our uh our, uh, uh, our our base camp, and we that's two guys out there who, if the Viet Cong were moving to the to the perimeter, they would see it or hear it first, but they couldn't talk 
because they're out in the middle of nowhere. So what you would do is if he, if they broke squelch, you knew something was going on. So you would talk to them and say, do you see movement? And they break squelch once and they break squelch once. Uh, tell me if they are 100 meters away, break squelch twice. If they are more, break squelch. And so you were talking just by this radio, breaking squelch on, and, and you hear it click, 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 you know, squelch. Uh, amazing, Ma amazing stuff. Do you remember the first time that you were shot at? Yeah, I, I guess, but it was more of from a distance and it wasn't, it wasn't an all out firefight. Thank God I never got an all out firefight because when you got in that kind of situation, you know, you, you were in bad stuff. I mean, I, I was mortared on numerous occasions. Um, I was at Tet, which was kind of kind of crazy as I think back now. I was in base camp for Tet. And uh, all of us, we were all in a, in a hooch, a little tent, a camp, whatever. And I'll never forget uh, somebody who just come back from Hong Kong, from R&R. And they had the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden, and I was in Quan Loy. Quan Loy was the is the was the Michelin rubber plantation. Yeah, and that's where we were based. And all of a sudden, in came these. I never had rocketed before. These whatever one twenty two, one forty, whatever rockets comes screaming through the rubber trees and exploding. Well, of course, we dove for the bunker, but the the craziness of war, and you look back at this, somebody had forgot to turn off the tape recording. So there'd be this loud explosion, and in the background, you'd hear, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. And then another rocket would come in and hit a tree. Thank God you want it to hit a tree, and it would explode. And you'd hear in the background, I get by with a little help from my friends. So at the time, you know, you're scared to death. But as I yeah. look back, it's one of these humorous situations in, in war that people run across. Oh, so strange and and oddly like like beautiful in a in a weird kind of way. Like there as long as no one is getting injured, like these explosions yeah. happening with like sort of these lyrics happening. It's like it's almost like a movie. But, you know, obviously just like chaos, I'm sure. Well, the the, the night, Chet was at night, and the next morning, Juan Loy had a air, little airstrip mm -hmm. where we'd run operations with the helicopters. They actually could fly in, I think, uh, fixed wing. But the, in the morning, I went up and I saw this helicopter that was, look, if you looked at it, you would just see a pile of ashes. And that was a Huey. Hmm. That was a direct strike by a one- by by one of these rockets and you know once again you you got to have some humor otherwise you'd go crazy and i looked at it and i kept thinking i think the taxpayers back home are not going to like to see this because i mean it was just nothing right. <laughs> um did you make close friends it was it hard as uh as an infantry platoon officer to make close friends or did you kind of keep your distance i did make close friends they, the, the, how do I say this? When you say close friends, um, you were a band of brothers. You really were. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, your com- camaraderie was 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 amazing, and and uh, the guys in my platoon, I I liked them a lot. I got to know them. Uh, I got to know their a little bit of their background. They got to know about me, but you weren't really thinking so much rank. You know, I I had a job as in charge of that platoon, but I wasn't there to yell at them and uh, direct them left and right or whatever. They knew their job. I knew my job. Um, so you you were a group. Yes, I was in charge of that 15 guys. But um, when we were on, on a mission, yes, you had time to you know, work, work with them, talk with them, socialize with them, so to speak. Um, and I, and I knew, I knew them all. I knew their background. Did you stay in touch with them after the war? The only one I I stayed in touch with was a second Lieutenant who was in my company and he was from Jamaica, Long Island. And I was, I used to live in Queens. I was still in the New York area. So when he, I came home first, he came home second. And uh, then we got together and I went to his wedding. But that was the only person. Now, that said, I I had a platoon sergeant who lived in Brooklyn. And, of course, I was in New York City, Manhattan. And when I, I went home first and he said, Lieutenant Smith, would you go see my mother and tell her I'm doing okay? And I said, Sergeant Marino, I will definitely do that. Well, sure enough, I got home. I try to find my way around Brooklyn, which is impossible. But I, <laughs> but I, but I did get to uh, the apartment complex, and I saw this kid, and I said, "Listen, I'm looking for uh, Mrs. Marino, and this is almost like a scene from a Hollywood movie." She yells up, and she said, "Maria, you know, Lieutenant Smith is here," and this lady pokes her head out of the window. I said, send them up. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is like the Goldbergs, you know, the, yeah. the TV show years ago. Yeah. So I, I did I did that. I also had a situation. I don't want to get too lengthy on this, but when I was in the field, I was an infantry platoon leader for seven months. And then they brought me in as the executive officer. Two months after, two months, two weeks after I had been called into base camp my platoon was ambushed mm. and a couple of guys were killed uh it was a bizarre situation if you can believe this yeah so this one uh sergeant gary gable i waited about seven seven days i said i'm going to send gary parents a letter because I'm the closest to him, and they're on the other side of the world, and I think they would appreciate hearing from somebody yeah. who knew him well over there. Mm-hmm. And so I sent a letter, and I said, Gary was uh, one of the greatest guys I knew. He was a great and brave, courageous person I met in, in a platoon. I loved if every I, I think I said something like if everyone was in my platoon was like Gary, I'd have the best platoon in, in Vietnam and I'll always miss him, whatever. About a week later, I was called in by the company commander and said, Lieutenant Smith, you have a congressional investigation against you. And I said, You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. He says, No, we're not kidding you. Congress is looking into you. And I said, Why? 
I've been I've been here for seven months. Apparently, my letter got to the house, and that's how that the mother and father was informed by the letter. Oh. And by then, that should never happen. Mm -hmm. If you're killed in Vietnam, you're always told a chaplain or whatever your faith is, and uh, somebody from the local ROTC, an officer, would go to your house so you could be consoled, and they they would do it a formal way. Not with Gary. He, the Gary's parents heard it through my letter. And of course, I, I was blown away. I was shocked. I said, I could give a shit less, pardon my French, yeah. but what happened to me, but it, it's, I'm thinking of these mother and father. Well, anyway, make a long story short, uh, Gary's parents said, whatever they, you know, when, when they came to investigate, they said, do not do anything uh, against Lieutenant Smith. Matter of fact, we liked the letter so much, we hung it on top of the, over his casket, da, 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 da. Okay. When I got home, I said to myself, I wonder if the mother and father would like to hear from me. Mm -hmm. And so I went to, to the memorial, I, and at the memorial, you can find each name, and you can find out the hometown. I knew his hometown, yeah. but you could find out the, the uh, newspaper, and the newspaper had the address and everything. Yeah. So I was able to get the phone number. I called them. They said, yes, we'd love for you to come out. Uh, I drove out. And my, I was a little bit leery because here, you know, a mother and father who had lost their son and they had to be, they had to be mad. They had to hate the whole thing. They had to be uh, against the country. Yeah. But when I got there, they had an American flag across the front of the house and they had all the relatives there to meet me. And the only thing I could think of is, thank God in this country, we have such patriotic families mm -hmm. that this is how, this is got getting them through a very difficult time, as opposed to them getting into a protest or, or whatever. So, it, it long, you know, I made, um, in response to what you said is, did you ever stay in touch with anyone? That's one situation that I didn't stay in touch with Gary, but I did with his family. And then we sent, you know, we always uh, send each other Christmas cards every year. Oh, that's nice. And I, I think this sort of line of, of thought and questions that I, I have are, are sort of leading towards this idea of what Braver Angels is about, and that's bringing people together and, and sharing in uh, what the military ha has taught you about, you know, supporting each other. Um, and that's sort of sort of the mission of Braver Angels, and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But um, first, I'd like to ask you, when you came home, what was your homecoming like? Again, a little bit of humor, I guess. I, my last four months in the military, in the military was at the Boston Army base because I, huh. I I wrote out my dream sheet. I guess anytime you're, you're ready to be transferred, whatever, you can write out this dream sheet. Well, where would you like to go? So I thought it was a joke. And I said, I, I you know, I'm still feel college days are in me and I'd like to do something with colleges. And, and I love New England because I'm from Connecticut, New York, whatever. I ended up the officer candidate school recruiting officer out of the Boston Army base. And my job was to go to a different college every day, set up a little table with a display, and basically 
those who did not go into ROTC and they were seniors or juniors, whatever, when they came out, why not go to officer candidate school since you have a degree? So that's my job. Yeah. Well, the first college I went to was Assumption in Worcester, Mass. Mm. And I set up, I'm, I got my uniform and I got to set up my little display and in comes about 25 students. They all sit down in front of me and they just stare at me. Well, they're protesting. And then one, one girl said, you're a baby killer, aren't you? So that that's the division in our country. Here I am and have to put up with this, but that's how it was. And so that was my welcome home. And of course, back then they told you, don't wear your uniform yeah. if you came back because there was such animosity towards the troops. They, the general public couldn't separate the war from the troops. If you were a troop, you were the war. How did you respond to that? That, you know, to, that was your first assignment. You go in, you set up, and then suddenly a protest is in front of you and, and you know, being called a baby killer. Like, how did you, how did you navigate that? Because you couldn't just pack up and leave, right? No. No, as long as they were not violent, I'm, I was not going to be violent. And I think if I packed up and left, that would be a, a statement that, you know, I was a coward. I, I, I wouldn't address them if they had questions. So I stayed. I just, you know, and finally they left. Uh, of course, you, you couldn't get angry. I, I wanted to get angry and say, yeah. you know, you SOBs and what the hell do you know about the war? You did that and you got 25 people trying to talk you down no one's going to win so i put up with it tolerance and patience yeah uh as we sort of dive into braver angels uh and and sort of their mission of of healing divide and understanding where we are at sort of in our country now um and a, there's a large divide it's very difficult to have togetherness and everybody working together um did you feel that the division back at that time during Vietnam era was worse than it is today. Can that, can you sort of compare the two? I guess if I had to make that back then, there was division on one side or the other about the war. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there were, there was division like we see it today. To, today we see division in this country in so many different ways. You know, you're divided by race. You're divided if you're a Republican or Democrat. You know, if I was in Vietnam and 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 I was talking to somebody in my platoon and they said, well, they, you know, they're, they're a conservative. And I said, well, you know, I'm I'm a liberal. Who cares? You know, we talk about it. We can joke about it, whatever. Today, if you say, if I'm a conservative and you say you're you're a Democrat, immediately I label you as a bad person. And your opinion is stupid. And uh, I really don't want to converse with you about it. Mm -hmm. So today we're, I call it, we're an ideology, yeah, ideologically labeled. We're, 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 um, we're put into little silos, black, white, you know, Muslim, Catholic, um, mm -hmm. your belief, my belief. It wasn't that way in 67. It was you're for the war, against the war. But other than that, you were, we're all Americans. Hmm. So 
speak to me a bit about Braver Angels. What's the history? How long has the organization been around? And specifically more like what's the mission? Yeah, the, the, this all started after the um, 2016 presidential election, mm -hmm. uh, Trump versus Clinton. And there was so much animosity. There was so much finger pointing. There was so much almost hatred. And it's spewed over to who did you vote for? You voted for Trump? I know exactly the kind of person you are. You're against this. You're against that. You're a terrible person. You know, nasty. You're whatever. You're for Clinton? How could you ever support that person? That's a that's a bad person. That's an undemocrat. So there were the founders were the like three guys who had a big background. One was a marriage consultant trying to bring people together. One was a <laughs> consultant with something else. And they said, you know, this is not good for the country. I mean, we are really going in the wrong direction. So they put together a seminar, or not a seminar, a workshop in Ohio with 10 Trump supporters and 10 Clinton supporters. Mm -hmm. And they're so good at, at and Braver is so good at doing this. And they asked one to talk about the other and the other talked about that. Well, the bottom line, after going back and forth, what each person was about and what in their background, you ended up with 20 people who are good friends. They liked each other. Yeah. And they realized the other side was not all bad. And that's that's the beginning of Braver Angels doing these kind of skills workshops, how to listen, how to digest, how to process the other person, what they're thinking, as opposed to hearing they're this and therefore that's all wrong. Were the three of those those three gentlemen, were they veterans? No, they were not. So how they did how did sort of the veteran idea uh, sprout within Braver Angels? Well, about five years ago, I got involved with Braver Angels, and uh, because I, I, I think what they're doing is is right. I mean, they're they're looking at depolarizing all these different things: the media, the institutions, the parties. What we got to we got to reduce the polarization in this country, and along with that, we got to create a, a a civil discourse. We got to create a movement of civility in society, because we're you know we're talking down to each other based upon where you're coming from, what your opinion is, whatever. So that's what Braver Angels is all about. So I joined, I became the uh, co-chair of the Connecticut Alliance. They have a, Braver Angels alliances in every state. They're, they're very well organized in the grassroots, which is why I like them. So you can get involved and see what you're doing is making a difference. And we put on workshops, we put on uh, we brought a Republican and Democrat together from the state house to show that people can get along in in politics. Uh, and we've we've addressed abortion, CTR, you name it, bringing people together to show the other side is not all wrong. Okay. So that's where I was, and I did that for probably well, I'm still doing it. But about a year ago, we got a, some veterans got together and said, listen, who are if you could take any group of people that and 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 make them the perfect braver angels volunteer supporter who would that be we all said veterans mm -hmm. veterans are all about country first unity teamwork listening to the other person um 
that is that is what Brave Rangers is all about. So we said, why don't we form what we call an affinity group? We're all part of Brave Rangers, but let's call it the military and veterans uh, group. And we will get together as veterans and we will try to recruit other veterans because we have ins with VFWs, American legions. We can go talk to people like that. We can bring other veterans in because they would be such a strong group within Braver Angels. And that's how the military and veterans group started. Sort of sprouted within. Uh, is yeah. it is it hard to keep an open mind? Now, you, you might be grassroots and sort of trying to bring people together. Um, but as you as you yourself started to open up that door, listen to the other side, try to work together, uh, how do you keep that open mind, keep that open door policy of like, I want, I want your ideas and my ideas to mix and create something better? Well, I've attended, I, well, first of all, again, here comes the, the core values, what's instilled in any, any veteran. Mm -hmm. We are, we, we are about bringing people together. We are about solve the, and we know that you can't fight with somebody who has a, a different opinion than you. If you're a veteran, you're together. Mission first, country first, whatever. But so that was instilled in me like all veterans, I think it's instilled in. But above and beyond that, when I got involved with Braver Angels, I attended a lot of these skills workshops that they do, by the way, it's free. It's on Zoom. Anyone can go to it. And I started seeing some of the skills that people can use to have civil conversations, to listen first, to not just think about what my reply is, but more process where the other person is coming from. So veterans are uniquely positioned to be able yes. to uh, start to, 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 to adapt and overcome is really kind of what I go back to. And this idea of like, we have a problem and that could be the division or we also have a problem that we need to solve and we need people to work together through that division to help solve the problem and veterans like i said are uniquely sort of positioned to be able to to lead us there it, exactly it to me it's, it's like in our genes as i said before it's instilled in our core values this is how you complete the mission you don't complete it by fighting within and i think veterans understand Maybe I'm going on a limb here, but I think veterans as a group understand more than anything that a divided America is a weak America. Hmm. A divided, you know, what, what Lincoln said, you know, a house divided cannot stand. I think we understand that well. I think they under, Americans understand polarization within the country is a threat to our democracy. Mm -hmm. um, so th this is what we bring to the table in support of Braver Angels. It feels very difficult now because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy, I have a young family, um, and there's not only division between neighbors and political groups and religious groups and, and ethnic groups, but division within families. Uh, and that's really caused a lot of strife. Um, and it's very difficult to to break out of that mold once you're, I, I feel, conditioned at this point. We're almost conditioned over the last 20 years to pick a side, plant your flag, and that's the hill I'm going to die on. And you know, 
that other hill, like they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so it, it goes back to the, that idea of just like trying to trying to listen. And and when you guys have a, a, a you know a workshop, is it a lot about educating each other or educating the whole group, trying to to help them to see we're all a part of this country and we're all trying to make this country better, despite the fact that some people believe X and some people believe Y. Yeah, the workshop is all about using certain skills to allow you to converse with the other side and understand the other side. Now, mm -hmm. none of the, the workshops are set to, to try to convince the other side, you gotta, you gotta think the way I think. Mm -hmm. You can go to a workshop and come out and say, my opinions are still the same. I still believe what I believe on this issue, but I realize the other side, I, I know what their viewpoints are, I understand their rationale, and therefore it's they're not bad people. We can converse. It's funny you say about uh, you know the over the course of at a dinner, we, Braver Angels has a workshop that addresses you know uh, I forget exactly what it calls something that is civility at the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas uh, you know or holiday table, and it's all about people today. If I'm going Going to my Thanksgiving dinner, and I know Uncle Charlie's going to come, going to come to the dinner, and I know he's a right-wing Republican, and I happen to be a Democrat. I almost don't want to go to Thanksgiving dinner because I know if the if politics comes up, we're going to be in a fight, mm -hmm. and we, you know, and and the dinner's not worth it. We're going to hate each other, and I'm going to think Uncle Charlie just doesn't understand what's going on in the world. So this this uh, workshop. And we do it before Thanksgiving, before the holidays, allows you to go into that kind of situation and converse in a civil way. For example, if Uncle Charlie says uh, something that is, to me, totally absurd, rather than say, Uncle Charlie, you don't know where you're coming from. You don't know what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. I would say, Uncle Charlie, help me to understand if this is the... See, so I'm 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 not confronting Uncle Charlie. I'm talking to him with him. I think one of the most difficult pieces of this is not not saying instantly in your head this this is a bad person. Yeah, you know, it, it, whether it doesn't matter who they follow, what they follow, what they believe, but you have to believe in the good in people. And that's what, that's what I'm saying is the most difficult part is to believe in the, the the good nature of somebody despite their beliefs and knowing that you can have your beliefs, I can have my beliefs. Let's not try to change each other's mind because that's where we're going to come to blows. But we're going to try to understand that there's uh, a problem that needs to be solved and we need to work together on that. Right. What One of the things that Braver, uh, one of, of several different formats that Braver Angels use, and again, free Zooms, I told you about the skills workshops, um, but we also do discussions on a subject, and we'll even do debates. So we will pick a very highly controversial subject, again, race relations, abortion, whatever, and people will come to that on Zoom and they're going, man, it's my chance to really sound off and yeah. point fingers at the other side. 
But our debates are not like a college debate where I have to win and I've got to beat you up. And if I win, then you lose. Our debates are everything has to go through the moderator and it, it's positioned as a collective search for the truth. Yeah. So collectively, we'll all hear each other and it's moderated very in a controlled basis. There's no swearing. There's no finger pointing. And we don't allow that. So by after about an hour and a half, you've heard the other side mm -hmm. and where they're coming from. And so, that's the way we, we need to be in America today. So if, because I feel like some people may get emotional or may start to raise their voice or may start to point fingers. How do you, how do you squelch that? Yeah, I, I think you would you would do something like if somebody asked a question and it was uh, a good question, but it was done with, with animosity and swearing or whatever. The moderator, again, would say, Joe, I, I we can't let it get out of control here. Would you just re restate uh, your question in a civil way so that the so and so can answer your question? You bring the tone down, you bring it back to, I want to hear the other side, what your response is. Is it, do you think it's healthy for the people that want to say, I don't want to hear the other side. I know what they're thinking. I don't need to hear it. Is that healthy or unhealthy? I think that's in our country today. That's where we are. I, I think it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, you look, look at Congress. They They never get together. The two parties, it's they caucus. Every caucus they have in, in Congress is by one party or the other. So the Republicans always go off the Black Caucus, the, the Green Caucus, the, the Health Caucus, whatever, only with the other side. The only one in Congress today is something called the Problem Solver Caucus, where you have 25 rep representatives who are Republican, 25 who are Democrats, and they get together and talk openly and solve problems together. They try to find common ground. Mm -hmm. That's the way all the Congress can work. Unfortunately, it's only a small group. So, so if, if you're going to say, I don't want to hear the other side, well, then we'll always be divided. And unfortunately, we'll become even more divided. Mm -hmm. How do you make Braver Angels' message louder? I say that because we hear it a lot in the media. like. TV, everywhere, we hear how divided we are. We hear, you know, we hear their opinions. We hear, you know, that sort of helps drive what we think, especially if we are in particularly planted in one side or the other. Um, but a message of togetherness, a message of listening, a message of education is probably a lot more difficult to, to blast out and get people involved in that because you, you want to avoid conflict. You want to, you know, shut down and be like, I know what they believe. I know what I believe. I don't need to listen to it. There is that unhealthiness. Um, so how how do you get that message of Braver Angels out a little bit louder than everybody else? Well, we've actually, uh, we've been given some good press. I mean, we've been mm -hmm. on Fox and, and MSNBC. We've had articles in USA Today. Um, so we're we're getting the word out that way. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing workshops and debates, and they're all free, and they're online, and we're attracting exposure 
that way. Because mm -hmm. I think when most people hear what we're all about, people say, you know, that makes sense. We know in this country today that most, when all the surveys show, most people think we're on, we're just going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at all the polls, people want unity. They, they're fed up with what they see in Congress. They're fed up of turning on the television and hearing only one side or the other, or the newspaper is either a conservative or a liberal. So I think most of Americans today want to get back to moderation, to unity, to talking with the other side. Mm -hmm. um, it's how do you do that? Personally, this is just Al Smith talking. I think we need a movement in this country, almost something like the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. where we get everybody who rises up, voters, to say enough is enough. Let's get back to where we were with civility and a lack of division and become Americans with our own views, but that's how our country will survive. Um, it's not easy to do. I mean, look at the media. We, within Braver Angels, we'll admit, we're not sure yet how we change that. The media makes a lot of money basically being all one side or the other. That's mm -hmm. their, you know, that's their financial uh, uh, stability, their, their livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you get an MSNBC or a Fox to the other side a fair shake? That's a tough one. We haven't figured that out. Yeah, I agree. It's it's an incredibly tough decision to be in. And we've talked about it a bit here on The Scuttlebutt, though at BBC we don't talk politics. You know, we've talked about that division and we've talked about how veterans are, as you said, uniquely positioned to be able to bring those bring people together. And I think part of like BBC's mission here in hearing stories, we want to create communities of listening. That's part of our mission. Uh, now, it's more specifically centered on veterans. We want to create communities of, of listening around veterans and their stories. Um, but I, I like the idea of our mission also being sort of like in line with what Braver Angels is, the, the idea of creating community, of listening to each other, um, you know, bringing people together to hear each other's stories, to ask questions, to be curious. Um, and I think curiosity is part of this, part of that education. You have to be, you can't, know what this other person's beliefs are and shut down. You know, you can be curious and ask questions about it, but it's also on the other side to say that if this person is curious, to not try to change them to what you believe. You could just talk to them about what your beliefs are, why they are. You know, just like I think at the beginning of our conversation, you started off, you went to college, you got drafted, you said, my country's calling me and I'm going to do this. You know, and anti-war protesters might come out and like you said they aligned that soldier with the war and they hated the soldiers um but you know you you sat there in front of that group of 25 people and said okay i'm not going to get angry because that's only going to rile this up and i'm going to listen and i'm just going to you know ease the tension and that was i mean extreme that was extremely mature for where you were at age-wise which is kind of astounding. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't want to go back to that situation, but but hopefully I handled it right. Um, he, here's why, Sean, just why I think veterans are such a, a critical group 
to advance what Braver Angels is trying to do and what the country, I think, wants to see happen. Mm -hmm. Give you an example. I, I get together uh, with a group of Vietnam veterans, mostly Vietnam veterans, but we're very inclusive to, you know, Afghan vets or whatever. We get together in New York City for a luncheon, probably three times a year. Um, and we've been doing this. This started 30 years ago by two Vietnam vets who went out to lunch. But we continue to get together. We love to see each other. You can walk in the room. You can feel the camaraderie, whatever. You feel at home. Now. I know some of these vets are extreme liberals. Mm -hmm. Others are extreme conservative. I happen to think that I lean right, although there are two issues that I agree with liberals. But when we converse and we have a good time and we talk about some serious issues, if somebody comes across and says something in a liberal vein, that's okay. You're a veteran, I'm a veteran first, we're Americans. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's okay. I'm not going to call you a bad person. Of course I'm not. You're a vet. I'm a vet. And it's that kind of uh, group mentality we need in America. Uh, again, Americans first. Uh, have your opinion, whatever. And so we, we've never had an argument on anything political in this Vietnam veterans group because we know where we're coming from. We know what's more important. That's what has to spread throughout the country so how do we how do we create that group mentality if you have that sort of you're a veteran i'm a veteran and that's sort of like how you initially connect it, it's it's i think as a civilian myself it's harder for me to go back to the idea of like i'm an american you're an american how do we educate or how do we start to help people to see that commonality um to start that baseline that, you know, you're human, I'm human, uh, but, you know, even higher than that, you know, you're American, I'm American, you know, we're both civilians, we both could be from very different, you know, ideological backgrounds, very different, you know, everything, but you have to really educate on that, instill that baseline of we're both Americans. We can instill that if you, if you uh, go to a, a Braver Angel Zoom, whether it be a debate or a skills workshop, whatever, you will see it, how we do it. And we do it very successfully. And people all always leave feeling, I always, I'm sure there's a few that came in with the wrong mentality and go leaving with the wrong mentality, whatever. But how do we spread that? We can't send everyone in America to a Braver Angel Zoom. We'd like to, but we, you know, um, we know the base, the core of the country, like I said before, wants unity. Um, we're trying to work it out. We're trying to, we're trying, we've formed a, what we call a braver network, where we're trying to get together and partner with a lot of other organizations who have similar objectives to braver angels, you know, democracy first, uh, whatever, fix USA, all know we're on a on a wrong course in this country, and we're partnering with them to get the word out to what Braver Angels wants to do, what they want to do. It's not going to be easy. If it was, it would have been done already. But we're, we're a start. And, so and I you're... think the key thing the key thing is to get engaged. Every citizen should get engaged. And the more engaged we get in, and I do as a volunteer with veterans organizations and with Brave Ranger, the more engaged we are, the more I think we'll come back to the roots of what American democracy is all about.
It's a good message. And if you're watching here on, on YouTube, you'll see that I shared my screen. You can see there are QR codes that will lead you to the uh, Braver Angels website. Um, I will also have uh, links in the description. If you're just listening on podcast, check your description. There are links there. You can check out Braver Angels, uh, you know, their history, their mission, who's a part of their board, um, the workshops that they have, uh, you know, everything. Um, it's all there. Uh, and it's all, like you said, there are free Zooms that you can sign up for. Uh, uh, and Al, um, you know, where do you see this going? Where, where, Where's the next step for Braver Angels? We're, we're evolving every day. We're, we're looking at um, ways to spread the message. Um, it, it's got, it, it's not, it's going to be a slow, somewhat of a slow process, mm -hmm. but if we don't start and start doing it, we know we're on the wrong track in this country. I mean, we do, we're just going the wrong way. We got to change it. And um, I wish I could tell you, here's the plan. And by this 2025, we will have changed everyone's mind. It's going to be a slow process. We're trying. I, I would just ask, Sean, for any of the vets who are who, who are tuned into this, um, I would just ask them two questions. Are you comfortable with the division you are seeing in this country and the lack of civility? And if you're not, and I'm sure most aren't, if you could get involved and change that a little at a time, maybe big jumps at a time, would you want to do that? And if you do, that's where the military and veterans group of Braver Angels comes in. Join us. You are the perfect fit uh, for what we want to do. So I I, I have a, a, a own, my my own personal question here to finish us off because you know as we head into 2024 here, um, you know my thoughts on this year is going to be. Oh boy, I really don't feel like living through 2024. <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for me, a civilian, um, getting through this this year and you know for what is to come? But specifically, more like this year seems like it's just not gonna go very well. It's not. It's going to be turbulent. Um... I guess there'll be a lot of issues that will be talked about in the presidential campaign. We'll hear about it every night. Um, come to a Braver Angel Zoom on any of these issues. We we try to address them all. Uh, the military and veterans group, matter of fact, is has one coming up in February. I, I'm sorry to say I forget the exact date, but if you go on BraverAngels.org, you can see one. But we're going to tackle the Hamas-Israeli issue. Mm -hmm. And but we're going to do it not so much. The Palestinians are all right. The Israelis are all right. We're going to try to look at it and understand it better and hopefully bring people together about that. So, um, you know, I would just say tune in to the Brave Angels uh, Zoom calls and get involved with the local alliance. And I think you will come out of it feeling better about where we're going and what we can do about it uh, and, and make the positive change we need in our country. Because again, veterans, the last thing we want to do, and many of us put our life on the line for this country, we don't want to see it fall apart. And I, and I think, sadly, I think we're starting 
to go for, to fall apart, to tear ourselves to pieces. Well, here's hoping that we can find uh, cooler minds and, you know, find the good in each other. But uh, Al, I want to thank you for sharing some of your story today and uh, sharing your message from Braver Angels. I think it's a, a great message of unity and support and togetherness. Um, and thank you for joining the the, the Scuttlebutt podcast. Uh, maybe we can touch base again early next year and we could say, yeah, maybe there is some togetherness that we can find here. Great. That, listen, thank you for the opportunity to, to share the... Uh... Well, some of the things I said about Vietnam, I'm sure any Vietnam vets will can relate to what, some of the stories and whatever. But thank you for exposing more people to what Braver Angels is about. It's what the what our, our democracy should be about. Thank you. And to our listeners, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any ideas, thoughts, comments, or questions. Uh, thank you again, Al. Uh, and uh, look to see you again on a future episode of The Scuttlebutt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health, for your support.